This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. To be honest with you, this year, I don't like any of them. The campaign season has been long, but an end is in sight. Uh, I've probably, like a lot of people, have already made up my mind on what we're going to do, so it's just a lot of background noise. But can we make it these last two weeks? The aftermath for us of this election is going to be a while for us to sort out what just happened. The voices of somewhat tired voters, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Since Iowa is the first in the nation caucus state, the presidential campaign begins here about a year before it does in much of the rest of the country, meaning that we've been considering those candidates and their qualifications for about two years. Not only is that race still with us, but there are heavily contested races for U.S. Senate and the U.S. House, and all sorts of state legislative races as well. Election day is November 8th. Many may have already voted, but casting an early ballot doesn't mean the hype ends. Executive Director and Editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, Lyle Muller, has our story. There was a time when Iowans complained about political advertising on television. If only we could get back our local ads on the news, we'd be happy, the feeling went. And that was before 2000, the year Iowa's pattern of voting close to the vest year to year and not being taken for granted by either Republicans or Democrats took full hold. The state's role as a swing state that helped George W. Bush win the presidency in that year has held steady ever since. That, coupled with Iowa's status as having the nation's first presidential precinct caucuses, leaves the state with a long presidential campaign. And those days of only television ads? Now we have Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, any internet site that carries ad banners. Here's Frank Mensa, a 44-year-old respiratory therapist from Coralville. Actually, yes. Yeah, and why, why is that? Well, you know, they just drag the process on for a very long time, you know, commercial ads and, you know, even you go on the internet to browse something and then you get these pop-up ads and stuff, you know, so it'll be nice for it to be over, you know. Ask around the state and you will hear Iowans lament the bombardment of news coverage and campaign ads, now in far more places than in the 20th century that seems so far behind us. After all, this barrage has been in full gear since a little past the off-year elections two years ago, and even then, presidential hopefuls were poking around Iowa. The presidential campaign is so long that even stories about voter fatigue can seem to be part of the, well, fatigue. This is Steve Reed talking with reporter Brittany Robb for a January Iowa Watch Connection report on this same topic. I'm Steve Reed. I live in Carlisle, Iowa. I am 15 years old, and I am a registered Republican. Okay, so will you be glad when the caucuses are over this year? Yes, I will be glad when they're over. Why? Well, it's just that Iowa has a continuous, it seems like it's a continuous cycle. Uh, it never ends in Iowa. When I was a, when I was a kid... Nine months teenager, later, on an um, early fall day, Frank Menza is saying the same thing, knowing Iowa's role in the presidential selection process. Moreover, although he said he's leaning toward Hillary Clinton, he also said he's not happy with his choices. To be honest with you, yeah. this year, 
I don't like any of them. But it's like, choose your poison, right? Both Reed and Mensa spoke for an Iowa Watch project called Voices of the Voters. In that project, Iowa Watch professionals worked with college student journalists talking with voters in various parts of Iowa since October of last year. In those interviews, we found that not everyone thinks Iowa's election season drags on too long. In the northwest Iowa town of Storm Lake, 27-year-old Topiz Martinez is busy at the Better Day Cafe he owns and manages. He explains why he does not mind the campaign. I, I like that these issues are being brought up. Uh, I feel like uh, a lot of these things are just brushed under the rug until it's election season and then uh, and then a lot of these points that we should be dealing with more day to day are, are, are being dealt with. Down the street at Celia's Antiques in Storm Lake, owner and operator Celia Knopflock is tending to business. Will you be glad when the presidential election is over? Jasmine Bautista asked. She is a Buena Vista University student journalist who is gathering comments for this report. Yes, Knopflock, who is 62, replies. Eventually, Bautista asked, um, Have the presidential candidates addressed issues you wanted to be you wanted to have addressed? No, I think they're too busy fighting with each other. What are what are some of the issues you wish? I don't know. How about addressed? wages for women, the same as men? You know, I mean, like normal stuff, not let's put up a fence. You know. In fact, even though many Iowans will tell you they are tired of the campaign, they are part of a country tuning into this race in large numbers. Carolyn Tolbert, a University of Iowa professor of political science, says. I don't think we've had a case where a presidential candidate in a debate threatened to um, put behind bars um, his or her opponent. Tolbert hints that all of the talk will not go away with the November 8th election. The aftermath for us of this election is going to uh, be a while. It's going to take a, a while for us to sort out what just happened um, and how it happened and, and what it means. Discourse and dialogue is something that we have to work on. I often feel like my mother's 86 years old. I want to send her news articles today, and there are offensive words and language all over them. How do I even share the news anymore? Because the dialogue in some ways has been debased. Ed Raber is executive director of the Washington Economic Development Group. In his job, Raber, 49, recruits and tries to retain businesses to Washington County in southeast Iowa. The long campaigning can demand a lot of Iowans, he said, when Iowa watches Krista Johnson caught up with him. It just carries a lot more uh, of my time than I normally like it to have. So politics is not the only thing that I pay attention to. Okay. And so do you feel, what do you mean by it's taking up too much of your time? Uh, the sound, the, the airwaves, my mailbox, uh, the, uh, too high a percentage of it is uh, taken up with political material. Still, Republican and Democratic leaders alike fight hard to keep Iowa's first-in-the-nation status for presidential precinct caucuses. Again, Ed Raber. We are not only just a, a, a state that caucused first, but we're also a state that uh, uh, is a swing state this time. And so, like, continued attention. You know, it wasn't just our little shot in the sun for the caucus. It's, it's the whole enchilada. So, um, 
yes, it's all very, very tiring. Um, and uh, uh, Iowa, I would not give up being in Iowa for the first of the nation caucuses. And it's important to be a swing state. Um, uh, I've probably, like a lot of people, have already made up my minds on what we're going to do. So it's just a lot of background noise. And Lyle Muller joins me now. Every year, it seems, certainly in the past decade or so, people say they are tired of these campaigns. Do you sense that this year is different, or is it the same old fatigue that we have heard? It seems to sound like it's the same old, same old, Jeff. I think it's heightened this year because of all of the drama and the excitement and the interest that's going into this race. Keep in mind, a non-politician or the first female president will be in the White House. That's a dramatic thing. It's just being overcome by the general distaste for both of the candidates. But people have been talking about being sick of campaigns in the past as well, and a lot's been written about it. There, You hear about this notion that the shift from the importance of of the conventions to the importance of the primaries, which drag things out, uh, are having an impact on us. Michael Barone, in April of last year, wrote an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal in which he said that the presidential nominating process is a weak part of the political system, and he talked about the fact that in the days before, you'd have the national conventions with delegates. They'd go to the state party convention and then they go to the national convention and that's where the candidate would emerge you didn't have front runners so to speak but now you have front runners almost immediately with polling that comes out and also this dragged out political caucus system that we have here in Iowa where you know we're the first in the nation so we get folks a year before then we get them for the year of the campaign for the election as well do you find that the fatigue is leading them to steer clear of the process, or is it just the grousing that we may come up with, but yet we're still going to participate? Are we driving anyone away, in other words, with all of this attention? It doesn't seem that people are being driven away. Rather, they're being driven to vote early and get it out of their hands so that they don't have to worry about it anymore. There still is a lot of interest. And in these past presidential campaigns, we have to remember that even though there was grousing, to use your phrase, which, by the way, is accurate, that despite that grousing, people still turned out in large numbers for the presidential election, and there is nothing to indicate this year that the interest is so low that there would not be a turnout at the polls. People rather are inspired and excited and want to get out to the polls. But what we're seeing is them going to the polls earlier because they just want to tune some of this out. And yet voting early does not stop the mail or the robocalls. I've certainly had people mention that point to me as well. Now, we always have said that young people do not vote in proportion to their elders. And it was back now almost 50 years that 18-year-olds were allowed to vote. Are we seeing with the millennials uh, a greater interest among young people than that same demographic a generation before? I don't know if we can say that yet. We still have to see what plays out. Certainly, the political campaigns have targeted millennials. That's why they've appeared in Iowa at college campuses, the University of Iowa, Iowa State, and at the University of Northern Iowa, among others. But I don't know if we'll be able to make a good judgment on that until we see the voter turnout. Uh, The University of Iowa campus this past week 
leading up to our conversation here, had tables out for people. They were, of course, for the Democrats and uh, Hillary Clinton. But I saw a few people at the table. I don't know how many people are really clamoring to sign up for that. I've also seen that at the University of Northern Iowa campus where people are getting signed up to vote. We'll just have to see on that one, I think. Lyle Muller, thanks for your insight. Iowa Watch Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller speaking with me from his office in Iowa City. A number of student journalists assisted with this week's report, including Julia Davis and Krista Johnson at the University of Iowa, Bethany Loberecht at William Penn University, and Jasmine Bautista at Buena Vista University. Coming up, we hear from a University of Iowa political science professor for some additional context on the contest. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our discussion of the upcoming general election now as Iowa Watch's Lyle Muller talks with Caroline Tolbert, professor of political science at the University of Iowa. She is the author or co-author of eight books as well as dozens of articles in scholarly journals. Her research explores voting, elections, public opinion, and representation. I want to start with this. It's the notion of people saying they're tired of the election, they wish it were over, but yet they're tuning into it in large numbers. And what do you make of that? Why do people talk about wanting the election over, but yet still see some appeal in what's going on in this presidential election? I think this this election, in fact, I was just mentioning that the word unprecedented I'm striking from my vocabulary because we've used it so frequently to describe this election Um, but clearly a historic election um, uh, an election that hasn't occurred um, previously in US history in many ways I I don't think we've had a major party candidate for president that has never held either elected office or been a military leader um, before for one of the the top any um, parties so it is um, it is unique in many ways obviously we have never had a major party female presidential candidate Um, and we are also at a period if you look at the Pew Research Center a very heightened um, party polarization not only among political elites but among the mass public and it is translating into actually emotional apathy and anxiety and concern with the other party. So emotions are running very high in this election. I would not be surprised that voters, when they feel uncertain or anxious um, or angry, are would want to have that uncomfortable 
condition of being emotionally activated over. Um, however, we are seeing along with this, one thing we know from the study of actually political psychology and emotions is that when people are uncertain or when they have emotional responses, which can be anger, anxiety, enthusiasm, hope, these things are all different forms of emotions, that they tend to seek out more information. It sounds like what you're talking about are some elements of drama, the types of things that attract us to fiction or good nonfiction or good nonfiction, a good story in other words. Is a lot of storytelling going on in this? Well, it, it, we clearly have drama, and in part we are, are the Trump as a presidential candidate is a, is a media celebrity. The Apprentice was a very successful television, you know, a, a show uh, with drama, with all of the things that you're describing. He's really the first presidential candidate ever to tweet his way to being a major party candidate. Um, he's also a master, though, at uh, town halls, at public events, the um, the Trump airplane um, making the local stops in Iowa here in January of 216 at the local airports um, was like the whistle stop campaigns in the 1800s for the, the presidential candidates with the railroads. Um, it was really a new way of campaigning Twitter, the Trump airplane, um, the television personality, and then the traditional media's obsession with covering Trump. And that's there's been some studies on just how many more times um, Trump's name was mentioned in newspaper articles, um, in print, than any of his opponents. The incredible amount of free media coverage. So we, we do definitely have a, a celebrity um, billionaire presidential candidate, which is not what we normally see every four years. And so how do we try to figure out what type of political issues he stands for in the midst of all of that type of uh, drama and sort of uh, media uh, attention? So I think there's been some decent coverage of trying to see where the candidates stand on the issues um, after the two, the first presidential debate, maybe more than the second one. Um, but there's definitely, the coverage has been much more about the, this entertainment, the drama, the polls. Um, and I think we, compared to previous elections, have had less of a discussion of the issues where they stand on the issues. Um, we've, we've had some, but we've had more of the, of the drama and the entertainment um, in this election. So important question, and, and whether or not Trump um, becomes the next president or not, whether this, this viral media, the social media that I think both created the Trump phenomena with Twitter, whether it also will, could be the thing that will, you know, decide the election or could even undo his, his fate. Well, one of the things I was thinking about as I was coming to the interview was polls and the role of opinion polls. That's another thing people complain about, but they continually like consuming. And in the past, 
the argument has been the only poll that counts is the one on election day. But in this election, in some of the narrative, those polls have been really a strong part. Do you know what's going on there? Is there any type of indication of why they're getting more legitimized as we get into this campaign? So remember Trump um, early on and in Iowa and in New Hampshire and in the early states, he, I think the polls was one of the most frequently mentioned words because he was a candidate that people didn't, he had to make his name. He was an outside candidate, someone who had formerly been registered as a Democrat, formerly been a nonpartisan, had not held elected office as a Republican, had to prove himself. Um, and so he used the polls and his standing in the polls, his popularity, his leading in the polls as a legitimizing force. In Iowa, we have this unique opportunity of seeing these candidates for a long time. Do you detect voter fatigue amongst Iowans in your work, or is that just something that we truck out every four years and talk about? This election has had so many new doors that have flown open. I think Silver talks about it as compared to 212, compared to 208, compared to 204, extreme amounts of volatility and um, changeability. Usually even the debates only create short-term blips for one candidate or the other, and there's what we call larger, more systematic factors that kind of determine who will win. In this race, though, we've seen a lot more changing. Um, you could look at Iowa in particular has swung in just not very months, many months, between a Trump state and a Clinton state and a Trump state and a Clinton state. It's going back and forth. Iowa Watch's Lyle Muller in conversation with Professor Caroline Tolbert of the University of Iowa Political Science Department. And that brings us to the end of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.